What? Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Green Room. We've got some amazing guests today, and we're going to do some introductions. I'm Ray with Constellation Research here with Bala Ashar. Uh, we're both the co-founders of Disrupt TV, and uh, we'll do some intros. But hey, what's up with those ugly shirts in Sun Valley? Anyways, let's do some quick intros. We'll start from the back. Isaac, where are you calling from? What are we talking about today? Hey, uh, Isaac Sokolik. I'm from New York today, and uh, ex-CTO and CIO talking about my new book, Digital Trailblazer. Welcome, welcome. Keith, what's going on? This is not Fox News. Ah, what are you doing here? Thanks for having me here. This is wonderful. So according to my wife, I'm calling in from another planet. But absent that, the Pacific Northwest, where we finally have that orange thing in the sky and a beautiful summer underway, be talking about where we see the world going, why the future matters in ways that people aren't thinking about. This is why all recruiting is done in June and July in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> exactly. Paul, <laughs> where you're calling in from, what's going on? Uh, calling in from New Jersey, where it's uh, sunny today, and I just read something that said that 90% uh, of the, the world's population will be in daylight at the same time today, which is apparently a very unusual thing. So I'm uh, mm. enjoying the sunshine uh, here in New Jersey, just outside of New York City. Very cool. We're going to kick it off and, of course, hand it back to you, Hannah. All right, let's go. Three, two, one. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and Constellation, uh, CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in <laughs> world of digital giants. Ray's a regular television and business technology contributor. You can see him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. In my opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWAG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Nat. Thanks for having me, Vala. Vala is the Chief Digital Evangelist of sales for Salesforce, also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world are paying attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. But as you know, it's never about us. It's about our amazing guests. And of course, who do we have to kick it off today? Ray, we have one of our favorite guests back on the show. In fact, you saw him on the video montage. Uh, Paul Doherty is Accenture's Group Chief Executive, responsible for technology and Chief Technology Officer. He leads all aspects of Accenture technology business, 
overseeing Accenture's technology strategy, driving innovation through R&D in Accenture's labs, leveraging emerging technologies to bring the newest innovation to clients globally. Paul is a passionate advocate for gender equality in the workplace, strongly supporting Accenture's 50-50 pledge to achieve a gender-balanced workforce with 50% women and 50% men by 2025. As a sponsor of STEM-related inclusion and diversity initiatives, he serves on the board of director of Girls Who Code and was recognized by the Institute for Women's Leadership with the Guys Who Get It Award for supporting diversity in the workplace and advancement of women, especially in technology and other STEM fields. Paul has been recognized as Computer World's Premier 100 Technology Leader, Retail's Week Tech 100, Ad Week 50, LinkedIn Top Voices, Business Transformation 150, and many, many more. He's the co-author of highly acclaimed book, Human Plus Machines, Reimagining Work in the Age of AI. And his new book, which Ray held up, by the way, I was so anxious, I actually wanted an early copy because I loved his first book so much. It, the new book is Radically Human, how new technology is transforming business and shaping our future, which we're going to talk about today. He's a must follow on Twitter at Paul Dow, P-A-U-L-D-A-U-G-H. Welcome back, Paul, to Disrupt TV. It's great to be here. A great, uh, great way to spend a Friday with you guys. We're really looking forward to the discussion. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have you here, and we always want to get your perspective on the broader technology landscape. What are you seeing out there in terms of trends like metaverse or trends like automation and AI, or where are we going? And of course, you talk to tens of thousands of customers every year. Uh, what are they saying? What's going on, and where are we going towards the future? Yeah, it's a it's a real well. First of all, thanks for the the great introduction. You guys always do a great job of setting the stage, and I have to say that the two of you are the guys who I always you know follow and look at and and uh, watch on Twitter and everywhere else you post. You guys are always full of great insights, so it's great uh, great to be with you. Uh, the uh, you know it's a, it's an incredibly confusing time in the world. Uh, I think uh, I think anybody. You know, everybody is trying to figure out where uh, where things are going from all sorts of different perspectives, from the war to geopolitical to, you know, pandemic to uh, to job market to recession and you know concerns and markets and such. Uh, so the uh, but uh, one of the things that I'm seeing is uh, you know pattern that we started seeing you know during COVID, which is you know the technology cycle kind of breaking with its tradition of what of what it's done in prior cycles which is kind of you know technology being uh cut and going down you know and being a buffer for companies uh, as they cut tech spending you know in uh, in tough environments with covid we saw that pattern break and companies investing in technology because technology became the lifeline for them to keep running their business and we it's obvious now we all know that now it wasn't necessarily obvious that that would be the case at the time and uh i think as now we're in a different cycle we've, you know that's in the past we're in this different cycle with all this uncertainty and I, I think the pattern that I see is, is, and what I talk about is that in an incredibly volatile and uncertain world, I think tech is the one certainty you can count on. And I, that's the way I see companies acting. They're continuing generally tech investments and, and in many cases, ambitious tech investments because what they get from tech in better transparency into supply chains, managing uh, you know, managing a lumpy and uncertain growth across customers with, with new uh, insights and intelligence and analytics and such, uh, you know, or uh, you know, could go on and on. But the, the technology is providing the resilience that companies need in uncertain times, which is why I believe we're seeing a disconnect uh, in that uh, the strength of technology investment in companies from the you know the, the decline or the the the, the uh, 
you know the pressure on GDP, and I think we'll see that continue through the decade. The um, and, and and I said it quickly, but continue through the decade, and I, that's a big statement, so I'll say it's again. Uh, in and I think there's five forces that will really shape how companies uh, really invest in technology. Why you'll see that happen for the next decade, uh, I'll just say them really quickly. The first is what we call total enterprise reinvention, and I intentionally didn't use the word digital there. But I would say that most companies, when I when I go out and talk to companies, they'll they'll say, "Hey, we're about we're about twenty percent there, thirty percent there with being digital," uh, and that that next seventy to eighty percent is the next decade, and it's it's transformative, and it's uh, there's a lot of elements to it, and that's going to drive uh, a lot of what companies do in, in tr- really truly changing their business. The second trend is around talent. Uh, no, you know, even if there's uh, you know a deepening recession and concerns around the job market, the, the tech ta- the, the market for tech talent won't change, and specialized tech talent will be the precious commodity through the next decade. And those that have it, uh, you know, will um, will do better. And those that can become talent creators and control their destiny with respect to their talent uh, will do better. And those that can train and develop and such and democratize technology as well. Uh, the third, uh, that's the second, so it's uh, you know, total enterprise reinvention, talent. The third is sustainability. Only 6% of companies have linked their sustainability strategy and their tech strategy together. I think that's a massive mistake because technology isn't just the measurement tool for sustainability. In, in many cases, in many in- industries, uh, technology is the answer to sustainability problems, and you need to link the, the two together. Uh, the fourth is the metaverse. And uh, maybe a, sometimes a bit of an outlier on this one, but uh, I do believe, as we said in uh, in 2013, we had a vision report that said every business is a digital business. Uh, we got a lot of challenge at the time. People called us you know, called me a lot of names at the time for saying that, but the uh, it turned out to be true. And I believe that this vision report we have this year that talks about meet me in the metaverse, I think, is even bigger in terms of the implications and the degree of change we've called out for a decade. Yeah, and then and then the fifth trend, real quickly, is is uh, what we call uh, the ongoing tech revolution, where uh, where the where tech, you know, what we know as IT and digital, will infuse and infect the sciences and bio, you know, chemistry and biotech and such, uh, leading to uh, you know a, a lot of transformation beyond what we think of you know transforming the enterprise today. And I think that's the path to the 2030s and in interpreting what's going to happen over the next decade. You reference your uh, technology vision report, which I've been following for years. I, I write 80 to 100 ZDNet articles a year. And for the last two to three years, my most popular article is summarizing uh, the report that you and your team produce. And, and, and this year, it was Meet Me in the Metaverse. And uh, you start off, yeah, it, I, it, un, I, I, you've helped me get about 10,000 followers on Twitter. So I appreciate you big time. <laughs> In the report, you know, right up front, 95% of global executives believe that future digital platforms need to offer unified experience, enabling interoperability of customer data across different platforms and spaces. And you carved the report into four macro categories, WebMe, putting the me in the metaverse, programmable world, or planet, personalized, the unreal, make it synthetic, authentic, and computing the impossible. When you talk about by 2028, we're going to get Zetascale computing, matching the ability of human brain processing incredible bold predictions up to 2030 and beyond really bold one of the reasons it was my most popular article is because people were challenging agreeing disagreeing with your predictions which by the way historically have been dead accurate talk to us about your point of view of the metaverse opportunity for businesses please yeah i think i think the metaverse is is uh, is often misunderstood it's like like it's like digital was back in the web 2 area in 2013 it's like 
when I was talking to clients about the web back in 1999, where, where people think of it as what it is today. You have to kind of project where, where this is going. And I think that's the big misunderstanding of the metaverse. People equate it with Roblox, Decentraland, just the things you can see now. And not to diss any of those things, but that's that's just that's like the tip, the small tip of an iceberg of what's really the potential of the metaverse. That's what we talk about the metaverse continuum, which is it's not just looking at consumer impact, but what you do for employees. Um, and one quick example on that front is uh, we we will onboard this year in Accenture, uh, we'll onboard 150,000 employees using Oculus headsets in our metaverse, which we call What Accenture Park. Which, and we have and we're not just doing it for fun. We 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 have you know sociologists, neuroscientists looking at this. It is it's a demonstrably better learning experience. It's demonstrably better cultural connection uh, among our employees as a result. That's that that by the way was an experiment we started during COVID because we didn't have a choice, but we we scaled it up and it's remarkably successful. So that's that's consumer. So the iceberg moves consumer to employee. It moves from um, you know customer facing things to things like digital twins. And they are connected, you know, digital twin, you know, technology and manufacturing, you need to connect to the augmented worker in the metaverse. And that needs to, by the way, share some of the same fabric that you extend out to your consumer metaverse. So this sounds an awful like a lot like the internet, right? Because it is the internet and uh, this will create some debate, I'm sure as well, but I do believe web three is coming. I believe web three is transformative. What do you consider it creates the, the internet of place and also the internet of ownership around decentralized identity and assets. And those two capabilities become transformative. That's why we talk about it as a continuum. We also acknowledge that not everybody's gonna wear these headsets every day. We don't want them to. I believe the metaverse will enhance real world connections and real world commerce. It won't be all about uh, Ready Player One. And uh, that's why two experiences and thinking about the, how the real and the virtual uh, interact is really important because uh, you know not everybody you know is going to want to wear these headsets or should uh, wear these headsets. So anyway, that's the um, why we believe it's big. Uh, Citigroup has claimed it's a thirteen trillion dollar market by twenty thirty. They wrote a fantastic report. Um, if you want to go read what they say, which is very complementary to what we say, and uh, I'm not sure if it'll be that big because that's actually a very large part of the entire global, global GDP. But it, it'll it'll be big. I believe it'll be there'll be more uh, done between now and 2030 uh, with you know kind of metaverse and related trans, digital transformation than happened in the last decade in terms of transforming companies. And even then, I'll even say that in the last two decades of what's been done from a digital perspective. I delivered a keynote at a higher ed conference in Boston, EduVentures, in front of hundreds of uh, senior uh, higher ed uh, executives, and I shared your technology vision, uh, one, one of the predictions was by 2031, most schools will provide students with augmented reality glasses to improve learning. Unanimously, yeah. they all agreed, absolutely that will happen. Uh, and, and, and also one of the other bold predictions by 2034, average adult will spend equal amount of time in immersive virtual worlds versus real. All of the higher ed business leaders, they, again, unanimously thought that was, they, they had no issues with your predictions specific to the higher ed industry. Yeah, yeah as noted in your report. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing that. And, and you know, as you think about some of those trends you've been talking about for a while, I mean, in your book, Radically Human, you've been talking about these shifts in technology ages that are going on. And, and I think, you know, at the essence of that, I mean, this is just part of the continuum of the human existence as we actually move towards, you know, new types of technologies. Talk a little bit about like, where are these new technologies and how they're transforming these business trends uh, and, and why it's not the business trends transforming the technologies. It seems to be working in the other way in terms of how our future is being shaped. Yeah, that, that's what I, uh, Jim, you know, Jim Wilson, my co-author, and I wrote, wrote about in uh, 
in radically, you know, in radically human, we started the discussion in human plus machine, but in radically human, what we're arguing, you know, to a point of what you're saying, Ray, is that um, the, there's we think this there's this inflection point now that's happening where the technologies are becoming more human-like. That's if you think about Wally and the, the the powerful transformer technology that we have. If you think about emotional AI, if you think about the advances in in immersive environments that we're seeing, the technology is becoming uh, more human-like, and that's the point of what we're writing in Radically Human, that more human-like technology isn't bad, it's not a threat, you know, compared to what most people think. It actually allows technology to work on our terms and, and creates the ability for radical leaps in human productivity and capabilities. So that's the that's the thesis uh, that we're arguing in Radically Human. More, more human-like technology, which is what we're seeing, we're gonna see more of through the decade, uh, is really what unlocks tremendous human capability around productivity, creativity, effectiveness, uh, and the like. And uh, and also try to dispel some of these myths still that are out there around this being something we should, you know, fear or, or, uh, or uh, you know, could, could, could create harm. Yes, there are a lot of issues to deal with, a lot of, you know, responsible issues around the use of technology that we can get into, and we're very much it's a passion of mine as well. But but the um, the the by and large, the, the great benefit is going to be to these more human-like uh, applications of the technology. So anyway, that's that's the thesis of radically human. I, we we talk about this as a shift from. You know, think about think about the the mainframe in the early generations. It was the machine in control. We had kind of green screens and things, even into the PC client server early era. And it was all about trying to bend the will of people to use the technology the way that it could work, um, you know, stage management and such, and training. Then we had the human plus machine era, which we wrote about in our, in our first book, which was the collaboration. And I think in this next generation, it's really going to be about human capability, you know, driving. You know the way we structure business, business processes, and using and using technology. And what I loved. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, what I loved about the book, and and there's a there's, yeah. it's, it, there's a graphic that best describes what Paul just mentioned: uh, it, it, the evolution of technology, machine centric, to collaborative, to human centric. And what I really liked about, and this is. Yeah, please show that Ray as I as I ask the question. Hopefully, <laughs> in the next visual the way you guys do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, my highest recommendation book of 2022, and I've said this number of times already, just worth repeating. What I loved about it is the innovation framework ideas, the acronym ideas, which stands for intelligence, data, expertise, architecture, and strategy. And you end the chapter of the book with three truths and an opportunity. And the truth being that uh, all companies are not technology company. The first truth, second truth, companies have proved that they can wield technology to innovate and change with unprecedented speed. And we've been talking about speed forever, but this is really so many facts in this book that talks about unprecedented speeds. And the last is in the human technology nexus, the human is the ascendant. Yeah. Talk to us about the ideas framework, this innovation framework that starts with intelligence and data. And, how did you come up with it and why is it important and what's the main takeaway from this framework? Yeah, the ideas framework, I think, is, is actually a really good tool for thinking about how you drive this uh, this change. It's you just, you just kind of listed what the five components are. And the most maybe the most important component is the S, which is the strategy. We talked about three different three, three new strategies that we need to adapt or that you can choose from but or mix together to. To, to operate in this new environment. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a secret. The working title of the book uh, was The Big Flip, because we believe that the, what the ideas framework is talking about is flipping your assumptions on how you use technology. And we believe companies have not been radical enough in using technology. Companies have been too incremental. 
and uh, being more radical is, is key to the future. So in intelligence, for example, the subtitle of that chapter is, is uh, less, less artificial, more human when we talk yes. about intelligence. From yes. in data, we're talking about uh, from maximum data to minimum, because in some cases, it's the smallest data or the small fragments of data you have at the edge that are going to make the difference, not the massive uh, data lakes and such. So we're, we're in each chapter, we're kind of trying to flip the thinking and get people to think differently about the use of technology. And that's you know, the heart of the ideas framework. And expertise is one of my favorites is what you have, have there. We're talking about moving from machine learning to machine teaching, which is about not just not just uh, you know, masses of of of, uh, of data trading algorithms, but human expertise fed in. And we talk about some examples there, such as um, uh, Etsy and the way that they uh, they build design aesthetics into their algorithms, leveraging the expertise that the design aesthetic expertise they have uh, that they can get from people. So lots of different ideas and different ways to approach it than what people have in the past. Was this a, any new experiences? You wrote an incredibly successful first book, and then really quickly you turned around an incredibly brilliant second book. Uh, to, to aspiring uh, authors, what advice do you have uh, to, to zone in and really, you know, with clarity of thought and precision produce great work? And how do you have time? Yeah, I'm not sure where that came from. There must have been a, 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 a metaverse uh, discussion earlier. But the, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing that, that once Jim and I, Jim's my co-author, and he's fantastic, and we are thought partners on this stuff. Once we come up with the idea, you can almost, you, you can't stop writing the book. Mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in Human Plus Machine and Radically Human, um, the, the, again, it's very full disclosure, I didn't want to write a second book, but Jim and I started talking, we came up with the idea, and I was like, I said, oh, we got to write this now. <laughs> uh, so um, me, it's about coming up with, with a forceful idea that uh, testing it out with people and saying, does mm -hmm. the idea hold weight? And then uh, then we kind of conducted the research and you know, and kind of wrote the book. That's, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Ray and I are looking forward already to your third one. So, <laughs> yeah, no okay. pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'm just going to read one for the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> now you get to read. We're here with Paul Doherty, Group Chief Executive Technology and Chief Technology Officer at Accenture, and more importantly, the author of Radically Human. Check it out with his co author, Jim Wilson, and uh, yeah, James Wilson. And of course, more importantly, follow him on Twitter at P A U L D A U G H. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Happy Friday. Thanks, Thank you, I'll be following you guys. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Uh, really, really smart, kind. Uh, and, and for those of you who challenge the technology vision for, forecast, just go read five years ago's version and compare it to where we are today. It's remarkable. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall to see how Paul scrutinizes these predictions with his team. Obviously, Accenture 500,000 plus company and all the technologists work for Paul, so I'm guessing he's got a 350, 400,000 <laughs> uh, team. Uh, but to be able to, you know, uh, focus on four macro categories and then uh, develop a thesis and then make those predictions that great go to 2030, but there was 2025, 26, 27. It's not just long-term, decade-long predictions. Yeah. Paul and his teams are making predictions every year for the next 10 years. So, you know, it's... Um, it's courage. It's, there's courage and a lot of work. And you make a lot of predictions, so you can talk about the sausage-making process. We've got a great predicting futures coming up next year. So. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. Um, and uh, speaking of a futurist who's had a long career of uh, accuracy, our next guest is Keith Fitzgerald, who's uh, one of uh, our country's most recognized investing experts. 
Uh, he's been involved in global markets as a private investor, as a trader, as a consultant and analyst for more than 40 years. I know when you look at him, you can't imagine that, but 40 years. <laughs> chances are, chances are you've seen him on TV more than you see Ray Wong. Uh, he's been on Fox Business, uh, CNBC, Bloomberg. I think 1,300 plus appearances on major media uh, and, and also print, uh, commentary on Wall Street Journal, uh, Times of London. Uh, Forbes called him a market visionary, which he is. Uh, again, logging more than 1,300 hours on these uh, primetime appearances. Keith is a principal of the Fitzgerald Group, which offers bespoke advisory services and institutions, RAs, family offices, and other financial professionals, including strategy planning, risk assessment, increasing alpha, and more. You can follow Keith on Twitter at Fitz, F-I-T-Z underscore Keith, K-E-I-T-H. Welcome, Keith, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. I mean, this is what an amazing show you guys have. I learn something every time I watch an episode. It's wonderful. Thank you, sir. You're very kind. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. And, you know, one of the things that's it's really interesting, we we're talking about this in the green room and, and in prep, is you said something that was really insightful about this market, right? I mean, it looks like chaos out there, right? We have a confluence of crises, right? Inflation, inventory, interest rates, infection, invasion. It's all happening. The market doesn't seem to make sense. And you just sliced and diced it into one single word. What did you say the market is doing? <laughs> You're very kind. The world, the market is having the world's biggest margin call. You're simply bleeding out debt that's reflecting the cost of capital and risk. So this is not unusual. The underlying impact of these companies, of all this great technology that we're talking about, is in fact stronger than ever. Now, the economy, not so much, depends on who you believe. I mean, whether we're writing science fiction or financial information, who knows? But the reality of the situation is we live in an era of unprecedented opportunity. Crisis always, always creates that. And we have a saying in our office, chaos creates opportunity. So the more chaos there is, history is very clear about that, the more opportunity there is. How do you focus your uh, attention on your investment thesis, given the, uh, what Paul Doherty and Accenture just mentioned, in terms of all these different dimensions and, and, and accelerated velocity of innovation, the speed and direction? We, we weren't talking about five years ago about crypto and blockchain and metaverse and immersive and AI. It just seems like in the last five to 10 years, you've had this just explosion of advancements across multiple dimensions of tech. How do you, how do you focus your, your time and energy? Well, that's a great question. So many people do it by slicing and dicing. We actually zoom out because what we want to do is view the world thematically because mm -hmm. the, the time has passed where, to Paul's point, technology drove innovation or you know created some sort of human adaptation. We're moving into an era where you've got to think thematically about the bigger picture because if you don't, you're going to miss the big changes. So for example, in the investing world, when I talk to CEOs or I talk to the C-suite about how their companies are moving and changes they can be making. If you're investing purely in the technology, you're going to miss the bigger picture. So for example, if you're investing in restaurants or retail chains, you're going to miss something like a Tesla, which is really moving across all branches of technology. Or if you're investing in technology, you're going to miss McDonald's, which is a technology company that happens to make hamburgers. Because digitalization is the single 
largest investing trend of our lifetime, possibly in human history. And so we look thematically. We've got five biggies that we go through. Every investment, every consultation, every technology has got to fit in one or more of these trends. So it's digitalization, dislocation, diffusion, distribution. These things are what's driving our world. And they cross the boundaries that have been previously established. And that's interestingly enough where both the opportunities and the risks intersect. And this is early because Paul mentioned 10 to 20 percent on the digitization roadmap. So do you agree that we're really early when it comes to you know, this, this area? Well, I think we're actually even earlier than that. No disrespect to Paul, but I think the executives I talk with are, are not yet there. I mean, they're still talking about stuff like how are we going to implement a specific appear, uh, experience or, or what are we going to do to move this widget to that widget? The companies of tomorrow are going to be experientially driven. They're going to be immersive and they're going to be designed to make their customers the best, not merely sell the best car or the best software or the best device. So the adaptation that's got to take place as a function of that right now now, if you work backwards, is extraordinary because the companies, the CEOs of tomorrow have got to start thinking about this stuff today or the mm. world's simply going to pass them by. Wow. Yeah. Powerful makes a lot of sense. And we love your model on the 5Ds that you're talking about. And, and as you talk about like a lot, right? I mean, this is one of the most exciting times in recorded history. And you've talked about why it's important, uh, you know, in terms of tracking everything from where, where, how capital is being directed. How does tracking capital flows influence where trends are heading? Because I think you do that better than most people I know. Well, thank you. So, so we break it down very simply. Money, to a point I make on television, I think you and I have talked about several times, money is like water. It's going to go to where it's treated best. Now, sometimes that's immediate sales, but many times, and this is the link that a lot of people are missing today, many times that's driven by the development of tomorrow's future. Now, Apple is a great example of that. That company is five, six, seven years ahead of where the world is going consistently. And so if you look at Apple today, I mean, how many times did you see me talk about this on television, Ray and Bala, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, they're only selling so many iPhones. Yeah, but if you're still thinking about Apple as an iPhone company, you've totally lost the plot. They're looking at it as a platform. They're moving health. They're moving data. They're moving information through that thing. With a billion installed users, what you're talking about is a company that can transform the world, influence consumer behavior, and boost margins at the touch of a button, the introduction of a few lines of code. So transforming this process, Ray, is, is about where the capital is going just as much as where it's been. And that's, that's the linkage that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people in the C-suite, when you see the lights go on, you start talking about structural changes. That's the moment I find most executives actually go, aha. I mean, that is a huge wake up call because it's not just about what the world used to look like, but about where it's going to go. And the markets are always a forward-looking mechanism, which is why we have the approach we do. Okay, and you're referencing Apple and the famous Think Differently and uh, the Wayne Gretzky quote of where the puck is going, uh, you know, be forward-looking. Here's an example. We talked, I've heard you talk about just in time was a business school topic, a business school topic for the last 50 years, from 1970 to present day. But post-pandemic, it's going to be just in case, GIC instead of GIT. And you said in a few years, it's going to be mini, M-I-N-I, -I, which is a term you coined. Talk to us about mini and why you think that's the new, uh, new uh, thesis that needs to be developed. 
Well, this is where I think the world's going. Again, you know, I'm viewing this as a structural change. So just-in-time delivery came into, into vogue in the 70s, Deming and all his manufacturing. The Japanese really put it on the map when they brought cars to the global market. And for years, it was, it was the de facto standard in business schools worldwide. It still is in many regards. But when the pandemic hit, we got just-in-case delivery or just-in-case manufacturing because suddenly just-in-time wasn't good enough. Companies didn't have the supplies they needed. They couldn't get what they needed to make the raw material to produce the finished product. But even that's not the end game. If we go forward and we look at 3D printing, we look at data utilization, we look at synthetic biology, you're going to see what I believe is called mini, which is manufactured in case you need it or if you need it. And I think that's going to speak to how people stock materials. Imagine flying on an airplane. I mean, how many times, Ray, have you been stuck somewhere in the world because a flight, an air cart needs a part? Mm -hmm. They don't have it. They got to fly it in from somewhere else or they want, you're going to manufacture it in a back room and throw it in the aircraft in 20 minutes and be on your way. Or imagine a company that's involved in building something. You're no longer going to show up at a chasm where you have to build a bridge. You're going to have a truck show up with raw materials, throw it on the ground in some form or another. It's going to transmogrify into a bridge that's been pre-designed and digitally programmed. So, you know, mini is going to be a very real facet that's going to change everything from how the world works to how companies have to manage things because suddenly the cost of inventory management becomes radically different. The notion of financing raw materials becomes different than it is today. The notion of having employees to assemble stuff becomes a different part of the equation. So literally the rules of money are getting rewritten, which is why this technology is so very critical. And that's, again, you know, it's a point we talked about. That's where people aren't making this connection. They're still looking at it as a tool not a means to an end, which is where I think the world's going and why I get so very excited about this stuff. Yeah, you know, the systems thinking and this holistic view in terms of how you look at this, you know, hits other areas of technology, not just, you know, the things right. like software or hardware. One of the big ones that you're talking about is synthetic biology. And to me, that's super exciting, especially given what we're doing here on Earth and in space, right? Exactly. I mean, we're going to figure out how to take natural materials in ways that are going to create things we haven't thought about before. Talk about this in terms of you know, what happens in production, in terms of the type of things we pr produce, and also what happens from an environment perspective uh, when you look at pollution in other areas. Well, this is a very controversial thing, and I've been called a lot of names, some of which are not too nice because of the way I've put this forward. But, you know, we're going to take materials that have never been previously combined and think about it just in terms of food, for example. Everybody's hung up on real meat versus fake meat, for example. That's the state of the thinking today. But what happens when we have 9, 10 billion people on the planet and you don't have the ability to get real meat? Well, synthetic biology is going to be the creation of food that looks, tastes, cooks, produces just like real meat, but in fact is more calorically dense, has a higher nutritional value, and costs less than conventionally farmed stuff that has gotten us to where we are today. So it's going to realign not only what we eat and how we eat it, but it's going to realign the food chain. It's going to realign the value proposition that's associated with traditional ranching and farming. And again, this is, you know, 5, 10, 15 years out, but there's zero doubt in my mind that we're going to get there. My children are probably going to be eating synthetic food mm -hmm. and not as a function of want to or have to, but because it's better for you and costs less. So this irony that in Inflation is driving the cost of food higher today. Five or 10 years, it's going to be how fast can you get at production? And the cost is going to be a hundredfold lower than it is today, which strikes people like it's totally counterintuitive. But I think that's where the world's going. Very powerful. Before I ask you my question, tell us about Fog with Fits, uh, your background. Uh, oh, thank you for asking. So 
Five with Fitz is an irreverent look at the markets every single day. I've written these as my own personal it's daily. writing notes. It's daily. Yeah, it's daily. It's every day the market's open. You know, fivewithfits.com is how you find these things. I, I, I frankly began publishing them on a lark because somebody said, hey, these might be interesting. And so I started putting a couple things up on Twitter. I had no idea that so many people would find those helpful and so valuable. But it's literally my stream of thought every single day, direct from my inbox to yours about where I see the markets going, what certain things mean, how money is moving, why money is moving, which trends we're looking at, what headlines actually mean. Because one of the fundamental problems with Wall Street, and, and any retail investor deals with this just as any executive deals with it, is that Wall Street frequently says one thing and does another. So you know, having spent 40 years in global markets, I like to think I know a thing or two about how that actually works. And so what I do is I share that information, that perspective, a lot of times that Wall Street won't tell you or can't tell you. And many times Washington doesn't know. So the thinking behind Five with Fitz is very simple. It's actionable. It's information that you can use. And it's it. all in five minutes or less. So you can have a cup of coffee, then print it out and use it as Firestarter if you want. I love it. What incredible amount of discipline and resilience for you to be able to produce daily nuggets of wisdom. Not one, not two, not three, but five. That's pretty awesome. Ray and well, I, 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 I try. I try. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the bunch. But, you know, again, experience and reference and consistency, that's what really drives technology. People don't talk about it. They think it's all bits and bytes, but it's not. It's the human experience. It's the brain. It's how you assemble pieces. So it's a constantly changing puzzle. And, again, you know, people view that as a threat. But I think mm -hmm. it's an opportunity. And if you look at human history, our desire as humans is to constantly better the world around us. And challenging or not, that's where we're going. You dropped a, a nugget of wisdom at the beginning of our segment, and I want to go back to it. Uh, you said most successful companies are going to be those that focus on customers wanting to be their best, not just having the best car or the best shoe or the best food. Talk about what do companies need to do in terms of shifting their mindset, their culture, their talent, their processes and strategy, the S in Paul's ideas acronym, to position themselves and build those anticipatory muscles they need in order to serve their stakeholders, customers, with the goal of making the customer be their best, not just producing the best electric vehicle like Tesla or the best hamburger fast food like McDonald's. What do they have to do to get into that position? Well, the first thing they do, and that's a great question. It's, it's one I've given an awful lot of thought to. The first thing they've got to do is turn that model inside out. And Paul is driving to it. And again, you know, who am I to tell him what to do? He's one of the most successful technology consultancies on the face of the planet. But I think you've got to turn that model inside out. So it's not just educating employees. It's not just putting an immersive experience together. It's about a company that collectively makes the best products they can possibly field that match up to the experience that is a customer. So it's not just, do I want hamburgers or hot dogs for lunch? It's how do I promote something? How do I bring something into the marketplace that those customers are going to use to better their lives? People would call this self-actualization, but I'm not sure that's the right term. I think it's more like human activation as opposed to actualization. So, you know, my belief on technology is that it's going to cease being something we carry. It's going to cease being programmatic. It's going to cease being something that we have to attach to us. It's also going to cease being something that's served up to us based on a collection of common needs or commonality. Mm -hmm. So this Facebook Twitter model right now that is largely associated with what are you looking for and let's pair you with like ideas 
it's going to be something that is completely immersive slash transparent based on how the world functions and people live. So that's the betterment part. You know, it's kind of getting into that Star Trek self-actualization model that supposedly is 400 years in the future, but working backwards. I think money goes away. I think disease goes away. Famine goes away. A lot of the things we have more computing power and more smart minds working on these problems today that the world is naturally going to evolve to the best that we can be as opposed to the worst. Big, big thinking. Those are big, bold statements. I love it. I love Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot of big trends here as well. And, and when you think about, you know, not just the technology, not just the economic, uh, not just the, uh, you know, legislative or regulatory piece that's coming or, or the political side, there's a lot happening on the social side, right? And that's one of the things that you're studying. What are interesting social behaviors that have shifted over the last mm -hmm. 10 years, not just because of the pandemic, but broader and beyond that that you're seeing? I think one of the biggest is what we call dislocation and there's diffusion. And I think the biggest single challenge, the pandemic dramatically accelerated this, right? People have long questioned the notion of government, but for the first time in recorded history, what we have collectively worldwide is a simultaneous realization that what are we really getting out of this bargain? And you're seeing mm. this empowerment at an individual level that is part driven by technology, but a lot of it is driven by self-awareness that we're all human. So never mind the conflict and the nastiness that's around in the world today, what we have is a collective human realization that there may be a better path forward. So if we see something, mm. for example, like a digital passport, the digital nomad thing that's so popular in Europe right now, you know, that is a precursor to everything that's coming because suddenly what happens is governments like our own here inside the Beltway are in a position where they have to try to catch up. They don't understand the world around them. And it's very clear that the politics, the politics are bickering back and forth. They're wasting all this energy instead of saying, hey, how can we best serve our people? How can we move forward? That's a microcosm of what I think the human experience is going to become. So we've got to move forward. And when we do that, that's when, that's when the flower opens. That's when it really blooms. I think we are on absolute inflection trans i mean just a transformative moment in human history because we are going to harness this and i believe that we are going to harness it for the better not for the worst awesome yeah, agree we're here with keith fitzgerald principal fitzgerald group <laughs> five with fitz.com of course you know and of course follow him on twitter at fitz underscore keith and catch him of course on all business tv outlets so hey thanks a lot for being on the show keith, brilliant have brilliant a great day commentary. guys thank you sir wow expanded my mind the first two guests have expanded my mind and our final guest, which is what we call up the cleanup hitter spot <laughs> where the guest comes and hits a grand slam of wisdom. And we're all cheering in the stands. Isaac Sokolik, president, chief information officer at Star CIO, a technology learning company that guides leaders on digital transformation. Isaac is a lifelong technologist. He serves as a startup CTO, chief technology officer, and transformational CIO. Uh, he founded Star CIO with the belief that agile ways of working and data-driven practices can empower diverse teams to drive transformation. These are important beliefs. I love the word diverse and agile and data-driven. Uh, Isaac is a writer, he's a keynote speaker. He's the author of Amazon bestseller, Driving Digital, The Leader's Guide to Business Transformation, through technology and the success with that book led to his newest book, Digital Trailblazer. Boy, does my company and I love the word trailblazer. Essential <laughs> lessons to jumpstart transformation and accelerate your technology leadership 
this book is now available. You can find uh, Isaac sharing new insights on Twitter at a very cool uh, uh, N-Y-I-K-E on Twitter, on his blog, Social Agile and Transformation, or on a driving digital stand-up YouTube channel. Uh, so please follow him on Twitter. That's where I spend my time, and he's a great follow. Welcome, Isaac, to the Shop TV. And thanks for having me, guys. Great to have you. Great to have you. This has been a this has been an amazing show, and we look forward to your insights. I know. You know, and it's something really interesting. Like, I mean, you come at it from a practitioner's background. I mean, yeah, you've CTO, been a CIO. Right, you've done CIOs for large organizations, and now you're doing it from Star CIO. Talk a little bit about this. Let's give a quick view of your journey so we can understand how you got to this. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't one of these CIOs sitting in the data center and making sure networks were connected. I was always working on innovation and customer experience. I was always working on data and analytics products. I had kind of a unique situation. I had a front row seat to disruption. I was working with newspapers back in the 90s. Um, I later on became uh, a CIO over at Business Week magazine. So very early on when digital became big, I got to see what was happening and the impact on legacy businesses and their business models. And then, you know, I, I started putting together a set of toolkits. How does a non-technology company start building up technology and data acumen? How do you bring Agile into a non-traditional, uh, non-technology business? How do you bring cloud into a non-technology business? What does citizen development really look like when you start actually bringing hands-on technology to business users? And that became you know, my playbook in uh, driving digital and it really became how I was educating leaders that I now talk about in Digital Trailblazer. Did you you love writing? Because you know we're so fortunate. On one show, we have two technologists who've written amazing books. But you're a unique. <laughs> that's a that's a unicorn club. I don't know too many CIOs. Not because and not because they're not incredibly smart and articulate and they can write well. But very few actually take the time to share their lessons. Uh, what was the do you, do, you, do you recall the inflection point, the point in your career where you realized, man, I got to put pen to paper. I've got a lot of good lessons uh, that I want to share with my, with my, with my community. Do you, do you, was it someone that influenced you? How, how did you get on this journey? Yeah, it was somebody, I was doing a startup back in 2005. It was a social startup. Uh, Facebook wasn't even big back then. And the person said to me, Isaac, you need to plug your social travel website into the blogosphere. And I misinterpreted that and decided to sign up for a blogger account and start a blog. And I did just that. I just said, well, I just learned something here. <laughs> Let me go write down my notes. Let me go share with the world how to go do this piece of technology. And I just continued to do it. Um, nice. And uh, nice. over the years, that, that my blog is now 16 years in running. Wow. It's got over 500 posts to it. I then added speaking on to it when I became a CIO in Enterprises. And I said, look, you know, best way for me to get to conferences and get the company to fund them is for me to come and speak to them. And that's how I ended up speaking. But you're right. It took a tremendous amount of effort and patience and diligence to say, how do I take something, put it in words in such a way that people to un can understand it? And it's just, you know, it's just stayed with me. And, uh, you know, at times it's a little bit of 
a way to get some frustration out. Um, mm -hmm. At times, it's a little bit of a ways to just share with the world something that I've learned. Um, and now I use it. I love meeting people. I love hearing what their experiences are, what their questions are. The, the new book, Digital Trailblazer, really came from a set of questions people who were second and third direct reports to CIOs, CTOs, CDOs, and said, how do I, how do I navigate my career? You know, there's so mm -hmm. much technology out there. I know a little bit of DevOps. I know a little bit of product management. I can't feel, you know, there's not enough time in my day to fill and figure out how do I do this transformation thing? How do I yeah. really be effective helping my CIO and my business transform the organization? And that, and that, that was the impetus for the book. I don't want to label people, but uh, I consider myself an introvert. So speaking, engaging, uh, it's exhausting. Like I, 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 I'm drained <laughs> after this show. You can't imagine. I'm like, I'm, it's, it's like I ran a half marathon because, because, because I, I'm trying to absorb all these wisdom that our guests share and try to keep up with Ray, which is like he's been in the metaverse <laughs> for 20 years. Uh, so, so, so. So, so, uh, do you consider yourself? Is, is a, are you an introvert? I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say that CIOs, CTOs are introverts, but uh, you know, is, is it difficult for you? And, and when you advise CIOs to write more, because what I see behind you is legacy work. Those stack of books is how <laughs> your children and your grandchildren and your companies that you help grow are going to remember you. So it's important. All Ray and I are content creators, but it's hard work. How do you convince? what I consider to be mostly engineering, science, uh, introvert uh, community to get out there and speak on stage and write. Is, is, how, do you, how do you get folks to do that? It's a great question. I think my simple answer is that to really excel today, people have to get used to getting out of their comfort zone. You know, mm -hmm. I was a coder. I loved, you know, the book starts with me sitting there debugging code. That's really what I like to do. Um, and not necessarily debugging, but actually solving problems, right? That's yeah. why we got into engineering. And if you look at engineering today, uh, my son's going to, you know, to, to uh, get his degree in engineering. A lot of what people are learning is how do you work as a team? How do you collaborate? Mm -hmm. How do you create multiple disciplinary teams? How do you like navigate your way mm -hmm. through a program when you really don't know what the endpoint's going to look like? You're going to continue to evolve that. Um, and then how do you sell your idea? Right? How do you go to your CIO and say, I have a great that's, idea I want to go work on? Huge. How do you go to your board and say, look, there's an emerging technology that part. we need to, that's the hard part, but that's what transformation is about. That's what innovation's all about. And so, you know, I tell people, look, yes, maybe, maybe your first step isn't going on stage. Maybe your first step is, going on Twitter and just sitting in on a Twitter chat. And maybe then later on you're, 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 you're you know, participating on it or asking a question um, at a conference, but you're, you're, you're engaging, you're getting out of your comfort zone, doing something where you're gonna be part of the, of the living world where you're contributing and then slowly but surely get used to doing these kinds of things. And then you're ready to go out and say, you know what? I don't mind saying something that's wrong. I don't mind saying something where an expert in the room is going to say, you know what, I think you're wrong about this. And you have a way of responding to that uh, because you just get used to it. And one of my favorite books, we're talking about books on this show. Um, Alan Alda has a book about uh, stand up comedic act and uh, how to uh, 
you know, how to improvise. And a lot of what we do when we're running workshops and we're speaking is being able to improvise to the situation that's in front of us. That's what leaders need to be able to do today, right? Improvise to, we have a pandemic that's hitting us. We have a recession that's hitting us. What are the things that we have to do differently over the next week, three months, six months to be able to get ahead of our competition, to be able to work with our customers a little bit differently, to take advantage of a new technology? These are the kinds of things that leaders need to be really used to doing today. For sure. No, it's sure. a great point. And I love that, Alan, all the thing. I think it was a New York Times thing. like all scientists do improv. But, uh, but what's really interesting here is like in your book, right? There, there's some catchy titles and chapters, right? Buried in bad data. I mean, think about that. That's everyone. That's, everyone. that's not really agile. Let's talk about some of that and really like, you know, what, what got you? Like, what do people need? What do people need to do to avoid some of those problems? Uh, especially folks that are, you know, trying to make that case to the executive. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the catchphrase we like to tell um, enterprises and companies is be like a startup, mm-hmm. you know, do the things that a startups are doing. And, and there are attributes of startup behavior that I want to bring to every single enterprise. How do you go fast? How do you make quick decisions? How do you bring in some new technologies? But, you know, st- average enterprise has legacy systems, has a way of working that's earned it. It's uh, it's profit margins. There's a lot of big butts, and you and you so you could see that play out in both those chapters, right? Buried in bad data is years and years of companies just adding data sets without in any governance around it, creating mounds and mounds of spreadsheets without trying to find a centralized way of doing analytics. You know, just doing things that way, and then figuring out, hey, if we're going to be quote unquote data driven. Right, we're going to enable more people in our organization to see real-time data to make better decision making. How do we unwind that? Mm-hmm. And I tell some stories and I leave some lessons around that. Same thing, the story about that's not agile, right? We want all the benefits of agile. We want the ability to pivot, to react to market conditions, but we still want to come in and say, give us a six-month roadmap today because we know complete certainty of yeah. what that's going to look like. Now, we need that in companies. We need to be able to forward plan to understand how to go about doing to uh, uh, bring our organization along for the journey. So we can't run like a startup, but we also can't bring in waterfall strategic planning practices in place and then expect our teams to do agile. And those are those two chapters. Dreams have to happen. I mean, this is, yeah, if you're waiting for a waterfall, you're already dead. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> Uh, most uh, most successful CIOs that I collaborate with, uh, they, 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 they remind me there are no IT projects. They're just business projects. You have to tie your investment thesis in technology in terms of outcomes uh, that your business is trying to achieve. And part of that is making sure you have a strong team. Digital transformation or any type of transformation is real hard work. So you talk about what, what CTOs and CIOs and CDOs need to do, anybody responsible for technology in the company, is always develop and cultivate and strengthen your bench, your bench strength. When you think about your best hires, the folks you could recruit and retain to achieve great outcomes, advice to these CXOs, how do you recruit the best talent? How do you keep them at your company? And why is it important to always be recruiting and strengthening your bench? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the fundamental part, as you hit on, is that that C executive needs to be spending their time out in the field with customers, out with their executives. You talk about why we're only 20% of the through the journey of transformation. Well, for one thing, the endpoint is changing, right? Every few years we see a new endpoint, right? So we're always gonna be transforming to an endpoint that's four to seven years out. And that, when we sort of get there, we're gonna have more things that we're gonna to wanna to be doing. Mm -hmm. The CTO, CIO needs to be spending most of their time with the executive group, educating them on data governance, educating them on what it means to really have an agile mindset and an agile culture. And that means having the bench strength to figure out what DevOps means in the organization or figure out how to automate more of the data flows that are coming in or, you know, connect marketing and sales with the entire operations. These are all things that we're trying to be able to do. So we need our lieutenants to be doing that. And the lieutenants that I'm looking for are people who are really good at asking questions, right? Mm -hmm. Not lots of questions, but really, you know, broad questions that connect, you know, where's the business going? What do customers want? And how do we think about implementations that meet those requirements, but are also feasible for us to implement in the short time? Mm -hmm. I look for lifelong learners, right? So take a security person, somebody working in security uh, with all the training, with all the acronyms behind that, but wants to understand what's the impact impact on users when we implement a particular security technology. So I'm looking for people who want a breadth of their experiences. They want to learn a lot of the things that are happening left and right of them. And the thing that I need to do as the CIO and CTO to make them successful is put them through experiences. Let them go out and facilitate a meeting, a brainstorming meeting or a solutioning meeting, even when they've never done it before, because they mm -hmm. need that experience if they're ever gonna take an idea that they really have and sell it to that board again and sell it to the executive group. So I'm looking for people to ask questions, look for breadths of experience, know how to partner and uh, ultimately know their world really well. I mean, that's mm -hmm. where usually where we start from, which is why our hiring processes are all all messed up. We tend to look for people who have all the skills, you know, that job description has 150 things on it. <laughs> we never find that person, we're, you know, looking for them for two or three months. I need the person who come in and say, I know something a little bit of where you're going and I'm going to ask all the right questions to figure out what the journey looks like. I love that. Servant leadership, curious, resilient, beginner's mindset and my takeaway was trailblazers intentionally struggle uh, yes. because that's the path to growth um, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and and that that often means you have to you have to be deliberate about struggling uh, which is which is which is it takes a certain mindset to 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 pull yourself out of that comfort zone and try something new to facilitate an ideation session when you haven't done that that can be pretty scary, especially if the exec sponsor is in the room and you got folks two, three levels higher than you in the org and you're trying yeah. to orchestrate a meaningful conversation. That's scary. Yeah. Uh, but but it's so important because, like you said, if you can't build consensus in terms of why we should invest in this new thing called metaverse or Web3 or crypto or whatever, uh, you know, I don't know how you can move the ball forward. 
uh, and especially in this environment. So great, great advice. Really great advice. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry. <laughs> I know you're tired of asking questions. Not at all. I'm just looking at that. Those are good. But, I mean, those are very valid points. And, and you know, when we think about the shift uh, in terms of the mindset, in terms of the culture, uh, all the things that are required to make those changes, we go back to what Keith said about the fact that companies have to make that radical change that has to happen. They're not doing it fast enough. And we go back to what Paul was saying earlier, uh, really about these shifts between, you know, being human-led and human-driven. I mean, this is probably one of the hardest things to do. So how do you find a digital trailblazer, right? You're like a CEO, you're looking to hire, you're trying to find the right person to drive your leadership. You saw this morning, CVS hired someone from MGM for like three reasons. That was the front page of the Wall Street Journal as to you know what they're looking for, having that integrated view of data and digital and where things are happening. Uh, how do I find a digital trailblazer? Yeah, you know, I'm looking for go-getters. I'm looking for people who've learned things on their own, uh, who've, you know, picked out a technology they've never used before. Maybe they didn't completely get it right, but they weren't afraid to try it. You know, they've written something, they've spoken something, they've been somewhere in their career, they've been a little bit outward facing. Mm -hmm. uh, they can tell me so stories that where they were successful, where they were really proud about what they were working on. They could also tell me some of the stories behind them where maybe they didn't make all the right decisions. Yeah. You know, maybe they, they, you know, they can articulate where they learned from their mistakes. They have some sense of where they're going. Right. They have some sense of maybe not what their five year master plan is, but you know yeah. what? I, I had it in me. I knew I was going to write a book at some point. Yeah. I, yeah. I just didn't know when or what or how I was going to do it. I didn't know yeah. if I was going to be successful doing it. A lot of books out there. Yeah. But, you know, you're look you're looking for people who who have that picture. And uh, most importantly, you know, there's a there's a kind of a give and take that you're looking for. Somebody who has conviction about their ideas, but is also an active listener and can adapt mm -hmm. to some of the things they're hearing, uh, adapt to uh, using data as a way to uh, evolve their thinking and then really see where markets are going, really see where the uh, where, where uh, customers are going, saying, look, I probably can't pitch this today. I probably have to wait yeah. a little bit uh, before yeah. I go in with this idea. Yeah, I love the I love your advice or at least recognition of the importance of having a balanced narrative. So it's not all about successes, because I got to tell you, all the trailblazers <laughs> that I know, they're full of scars. <laughs> you, I don't know how you trailblaze, like truly go to a path that no one has been and not fall down or, or see failures yeah. along the way. And so the trailblazers I know are full of scars. They're happy I think people, that, you know, they earn those scars and they're not ashamed of showing it, but they're, they've done hard work. You know? <laughs> I, I think that's why you and I, we both, uh, we both like that world. I mean, that's the nation of trailblazing. I mean, one day you're out in the swamp with a machete cutting through the weeds, well, yeah. not sure if there's something going to come out and bite you. Yeah. And the next day you're sitting with your team and you're looking at the mountains with the different hikes that you can go on. Which one are we going to go up? Which one's going to give us the best view? And you're going to do that day to day. And yeah, you're going to make some really Bad mistakes. And I tell some of those mistakes in the book. Yeah, you know, yeah I'm not yeah, shy yeah. about that. You know, yeah, there's yeah. more, there's more yeah, difficult stories in it than than champions. Radical yeah. transparency. Get the book. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Isaac Sacklick, president and chief information officer at Star CIO and author of Digital Trailblazer. Get the book. You can follow him on Twitter at New York Ike N Y I K E. Thank you so much for being here. And have thank you. Awesome thank you, Isaac. You were terrific. Thank have you. a great summer. Thanks. You too. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Has your mind been blown yet?
I mean, Paul, Keith, and I, like, our producer can't do this to us because this whole weekend I'm going to be thinking about the show because there was so much awesomeness in, uh, in, in, in the shared wisdom of our three guests. Okay, well, you get to summarize it for us. Uh, what was your takeaways? <laughs> This is the hardest part of the show. Uh, well, you know, here's the big takeaway, right? Uh, the, the, the transition that we've seen that's going on, not just around us, the political, economic, societal, technology, environmental, legislative. It needs to be radically human. It needs to be radically human, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting to a point where authenticity, transparency can't go away. People need that authenticity across the board. We don't trust our institutions because there's not authenticity and transparency that's there. And technology actually is the one that's been unveiling where a lot of these things have been broken. And so when we start thinking about new ways of uh, getting things from how we're going to enter the metaverse, we have a chance to recreate new worlds. When we think about what's going on with you know our, our, our relationship with technology and who's in charge, it should be the human versus the technology. Uh, we're going to see that. And, and that's really what Paul was getting at. And of course, you know, what, what Keith is sharing is really, what does that mean to capital flows? What does it mean to investors? Uh, where do people put their money? And a great way of looking into that futurist world is identifying where are the capital flows? Why are people betting on things that they bet? And everything from synthetic biology to what we saw about, you know, what's going on with these larger tech trends to, you know, the world's biggest margin call. I think that was the best quote here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's real, it's happening. And that's how people make bets. Markets are the best prediction engines. And if you get those signals, you understand what's happening. And of course, right, we need people to make it happen. And that's what Digital Trailblazers is about. Who are those people? What qualities they have? How can they make that become successful? And of course, more importantly, how do we actually create that next generation? So I think that's what it was. But once again, welcome to Stump the Chump. <laughs> you have a remarkable way. And it's become one of my favorite parts of the show, just kind of wrap a bow around what we hear for 60 minutes, typically from three extraordinary uh, thinkers, practitioners, doers, best-selling authors. Next uh, week, we're off. Uh, we're on a little bit of a sabbatical next week. Uh, so we're going to come back on the 22nd of July. And uh, for episode 286, we have four guests. Uh, we have Matthew Gould, who's the founder and CEO of Unstoppable Domains. Uh, with Matthew, we'll have Brendan Pazeski, founder and full stack engineer at Unstoppable Domains. We're going to talk about a little bit of Web3 and put a, a little bit of technology uh, spin to understanding their trends and the importance of Web3. Natalie McLeod is the president and chief operating officer of Guild will join us. And we have, uh, in my uh, humble opinion, one of the top management leadership thinkers in the world, Marshall Goldsmith, author of Earned Life and a Thinker's 50, should be Hall of Fame, Thinker's 50. So Marshall Goldsmith will be with us. So we have a really, really, you know, uh, buckle your seatbelts, get your popcorn ready for the July 22nd episode of Disrupt TV. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you, everybody.